Good morning, church. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Today we'll be in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, and that's page 976 in the Bibles around the room. I'm going to be reading the scripture in Tagalog today, which is the language of the Philippines. And um, we do this because we want to show that God accepts all tongues, languages, and tribes in his kingdom. So we'll be Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Purihin natin ang Diyos at Ama, ating pakinong Heso Kristo. Dahil sa pakikipag-isa natin kay Kristo, ibinigay niya sa atin ang lahat ng papalang espiritual mula sa langit. Bago pa man niya, liking ang mundo, pinili na tayo para maging banal at walang kapintasan sa pag-inig niya. Dahil sa pag-ibig niya, noong una pa, italaga na tayo para maging mag-anak niya sa pamamagitan ni Heso Kristo. Ayun na rin ito sa kanyang launin at kaluban. Purihin natin ang Diyos dahil sa kamangga-mangga niyang biyaya nang ibinigay sa atin sa pamamagitan ng kanya, minimahal na anak. Sa pamamagitan ni Dugo di Kristo, tinubos tayo na ang ibig sabihin ay pinatuwad ang magkasaalan natin. Napalaki ng biyayang ipinikulub sa atin ng Diyos. Pinigayan niya tayo ng kukurugan at pag-unawa para mauwanan ang kanyang lihim na plano na nais niyang matupad sa pamamagitan ni Kristo. Padating ng itinakdang panahon. At ang plano niya, ipag-isahin ang lahat ng nasa langit at nasa lupa at ipasalalim sa kapanyaringhan ni Kristo. Ginagawan ng Diyos ang lahat ng bagay ayon sa plano niya at kaluban. At ayong nang sa plano niya noong panguna, pinili niya kami mag, maging kanya sa pamamagitang pagkikipag-isa kay Kristo. Ginagawa niya ito para kaming nagnuanang sumapalataya kay Kristo ay magbigay puri sa kanya. Kayo man ay napibilang na kay Kristo nang marinig niyo ang katotohan ang magandang balita, kung paano kayo maligitas. Sa pagsampalatayon niyo sa kanyang ibinigay niya ang mahal na espiritu na kanyang ipinagokog bilang tanda, nagpamamaari na niyo kayo. Agwanal na espiritu ang katibayang na matatanggap natin mula sa Diyos, ang ipinagokog niya sa atin bilang mag-anak niya, haging sa matatanggap natin ang lubos sa kaligtasan. At dahil dito, papupurihan siya. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you today in awe, in awe of your wisdom, in awe of the revelation of your truth, and most of all, in awe of your reckless love. You loved us before the beginning of time, choosing us to be yours, pouring out your blessings upon us, knowing that we would sin against you. You, God, are a good, good Father. Praise to you, Father God, who by your almighty power and love created us in your image. Glory to Jesus Christ, who by his precious blood delivers us to our salvation. Praise be to the Holy Spirit, who sanctifies us daily with the graces of his bounty. 
thank you, Lord, for it all, for everything, for your mercy, for your love, for your plan to unite us to you through your son, because you knew we could not do this apart from you. God, help us to hear your word and help us to live with that truth in our hearts. Speak through Pastor Matt as he moves through your message. All praise and glory be to your holy name. Amen. Thank you, Casey. I think it's awesome to hear God's word like spoken in other languages like that. So, um, well, if you're with us this morning, we're uh, well. You are with us this morning, right? So, <laughs> I mean, maybe you're not. So, uh, but uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning. My name is Matt. I am one of the pastors here, and uh, it's an honor to be able to just come before you and to. Uh, open up God's Word and see what it would have to say to us. And like Kyle said, we're starting our Advent series, and we're telling it Ancient Grace. And so we've got this cool little uh, graphic back here. I don't know. It's, it's a nice wreath, right? And so um, trying to understand this whole idea of Trinity, this represents the relationships and that the Father is not the Spirit. The Son is not the Spirit. Or the Father is not the Son. Uh, the Spirit is not the Father. That God is three different persons, but yet they're all God at the same time. And like the guy on the video said, it hurts our brain when we try and think about it, right? And so this morning we're going to look at that big God that we really have a hard time understanding. But we're also going to look at his plan from the very beginning to unite us with him. And so we've titled our series Ancient Grace. And so I want to just talk about that for a moment. Um, because we all experienced these evolution of words, I think. Um, when I was a kid and I heard the word ancient, I thought of my third grade teacher. And she was pretty old. And I, I don't even know how old she was. She was probably only 50 at that point in time. And I was like, man, she is ancient, right? Like, and you guys know what I'm talking about. And like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, man, I'm like ancient to my students. Because they're like, you're old, Mr. Biggins. And I'm like... Oh, I never thought the day would come, but I have arrived. And, and so um, we have this evolution of words. And so as I grew in high school and in college, I, I, I studied ancient history, and that was looking at thousands of years ago. But when we talk about God's ancient grace, we're talking before the foundations of the world. God had a plan to set his love upon us from before the foundation of the world. And so when we say ancient grace, that's how far back we're going. And then we talk about this word grace. And grace is also one of those words that has evolved in, in my vocabulary. When I was a kid, saying grace was just saying a prayer before a, a meal, right? And, and so that's what I thought grace was. And then, um, or when I was in high school, grace was the girl that sat next to me in science class. Um, or when I watch the Olympics, grace is how the, the figure skaters perform, right? With grace. But when we talk about grace, according to the Bible, we're talking about God's one-way love. One pastor has said that it's God's love coming at us that has nothing to do with us. When I became a Christian, I went to this church and um, there was a guy and he made these little witnessing coins, and one of them said grace on it, and it was an acrostic for God's riches at Christ's expense. 
And I thought that was really cool, but I didn't know what it meant. Um, I, I, I tried to like fathom it. But as we look at our text this morning, when we get to verses 7 and 8, we see that God has lavished upon us His love and His care and His forgiveness, all because Christ died for us. So we get to experience God's riches at Christ's expense when we talk about the grace of God. And so we're looking at this idea of ancient grace, that God has loved us before the foundation of the world. And for us, like it's hard to get our brains around that. You know, when we come to church, we use all these words. And there's another word that we use at church that ties into this that I just want to make sure that we define this morning. And it's this word gospel. Because it shows up in our text this morning. And gospel means good news. And when we talk about the good news of God, we talk about this ancient grace of God. But there's no need for good news if there's not bad news. And so that's where we're going to start this morning is with this bad news. You see, in the beginning, God created everything, and it was very good. But it didn't last that way for long. Instead, Adam and Eve, the first humans, they rebelled against God. They chose to follow their own desires and will instead of God's. And this is when we say that sin entered the world, because any rebellion against God is sin. Trying to live life the way that you want to and not the way that God wants you to is sin. And so sin entered the world. And what happened when sin entered the world is it caused separation between humanity and God. Adam and Eve used to walk with God in the cool of the day. No longer could they even be in his presence. There was this great divide that entered the story when sin entered. And so since then, since, hum since sin entered into the world, humanity has been trying to get back what they lost. Apart from God, on their own, with no success. You see, sin didn't just, it wasn't just a problem that affected Adam and Eve, but as their descendants, we've all been infected with it. And we all choose to live life on our terms and in our ways at different points. We've all rebelled against God, so sin is a problem that we all deal with. But this separation between God and man is not something that we can overcome. But God knew this. And so from the very beginning, God put a plan into motion. From the very beginning, he promised that one day he would restore what was lost. And so throughout Scripture, as we go through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, we see bit by bit, God is revealing parts of this plan to us. And today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, we get this overview of God's plan. And it's a plan that was from before the foundation of the world because God wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve sinned. It wasn't like, oh no, he ate that apple. What am I going to do? Instead, God knew that. And so from before the beginning, the God that could see the beginning and the end 
He knew what needed to be done, and he put a plan into motion before man was ever created to send Jesus to this world. And that's what we get to celebrate at Christmas. But it wasn't just sending Jesus to this world. That's the big part of this plan that we celebrate here in Advent. But we're going to see that this plan is actually a threefold plan. And it involves every member of the Trinity. We see God the Father working in this plan. We see God the Son working in this plan. And we see God the Holy Spirit working in this plan. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So before we dive into our text, um, I know that like we just had Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving. How many guys like Thanksgiving? How many feel like Thanksgiving is getting pushed out because of Christmas these days? It's like... You know, everybody's in the search of this perfect gift, and we want the perfect deal. And it used to be that you'd wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning on Black Friday, and you'd go, and it'd be nuts at the stores. But now it's like Black Friday starts on Wednesday, and nobody even, like, cares about Thanksgiving anymore. And, and, and so, um, and part of that, is, I think it's part of us trying to unite with God in, in giving a good gift, because God gave us the greatest gift at Christmas. And we get to give good gifts to each other as a way to express that love like that we've received from God. And so I like to consider myself a good gift giver. Anybody else in the room consider themselves good gift givers? Where are my good gift givers at? There's like one. Thank you. Thanks for the participation. Yeah, okay. The, 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 I, I got five. I found five of you at least. Okay. There's a lot of pressure on giving that good gift, right? So I like to think that I can give really good gifts, especially to my wife. And, and she'll laugh about it because um, she tries... But I, I think I do a better job than she does at giving these good gifts. Okay? Well, if you're not a good gift giver, I just got to let you know. Like, you might take some notes from this, but showing up at Smith's on Christmas Eve is not the way to be a good gift giver, all right? Like, you got to put some effort and some time into this. And so I'm the kind of guy that starts thinking about what I'm going to get people for Christmas in June. And, and so last, it, it was last July... I got this email. So these Bible Project people, the, the guys that we just watched that video, last year they decided to take all of these videos that they made and they turned them into posters, and then they wanted to make this giant coffee table book out of it. And so I thought it was awesome, and I thought my wife would love it because she loves the Bible Project videos. And so last July they started a Kickstarter campaign to try and um, make these books. And so they needed to get enough supporters, and I was like, I'm in on that because my wife would love that if I got that for her. And so I found this. I thought it would be amazing. I paid for it. They sent me an email. Oh, man, everybody supported. We got all the funds that we need to to make this happen. And so I was stoked. And they're like, you'll get your book by the end of November, just in time to give it as a perfect Christmas present. And I was like, got it. Well, I kind of forgot about it for a while because it was in July. And so November rolls around, I'm thinking like, okay, what am I going to get my wife? And I'm finding some other things. I was like, oh, yeah, I got that book that I'm supposed to be getting. And so I, I'm like, well, I haven't heard anything about it. And, and so I got on the Kickstarter website, and other people are starting to like write like some complaints. Like, hey, you haven't been telling us what's going on with this. Are we going to get our books? And I'm like, oh, man. And so I send them an email, and they send me a response. They're like, hey, we, we just want you guys to know that it's taken more work than we thought it was going to to get you these books. And so they're probably not going to be there in time for Christmas. And my heart just sunk. Because I was like, I have this perfect gift and now it's not even going to be here. And they're like, it'll probably be here by the end of January. 
Well, it didn't show up to like February or March. And so my perfect present was ruined because I had to wrap up a receipt of what I got my wife and, and give it to her. And she didn't even know what it was. And so then I had to like show her the video on the internet. And she's like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, but like when she finally got it, she was really stoked. But like at that moment, I was like, well, I've kind of failed in my gift giving here. And so like I had this plan and I tried to work it to perfection, but it fell apart on me. But this morning, as we look at our text, we see that God has had a plan from before the foundational world. And it doesn't fall apart on him, but it's achieved perfectly. And so when we look at God's ancient grace this morning, we're going to see that God's ancient grace is planned grace. God has had this plan from before the foundation of the world, and it involves three things as we see our text this morning. The first thing we see that the Father chooses. That's step one of his plan. The second thing we see that the Son redeems. And the third part of this plan that we see is that the Spirit seals. And so that's how we're going to break this down this morning. And those are the three things that we're going to look at. The first one is that the Father chooses. So if you look at our text with me, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Remember the chapters are the big numbers, the verses are the little numbers. We're starting in verse 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The first part of God's planned grace is that the Father chooses. And so as we look throughout the Bible, we see that God has always had his chosen people. Those people that he would choose. And as Paul is writing this letter, he says that God chose us and he's talking to the church. And so in the New Testament, when we look at the people that God has chosen, they're this group of people called the church. Um, But the church is made up of individuals, right? And so God has chosen individuals to be a part of his people. But the question might be, like, who does God choose? I mean, as mind-blowing as the Trinity is, this is another one of those topics that Christians have debated and talked about for centuries. And so this morning, as we ask this question, who does God choose? Well, here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know who it is that God has chosen to be his children. But that's why we preach God's good news to everyone. Because we don't know who it is that God has chosen, but he does. And they need to hear his good news to become part of his family. And so we go out and we preach the good news to the world around us. We know this as far as the people that God has chosen. Looking at Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10. This is when God has his church gathered together at the end. It says this, After this I look, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, 
and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. From this text, we see who God chooses. People from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, and languages. That's who God has chosen. He's not keeping it to one people group because they follow these certain rules or they look this certain way. God saves people from all tribes, peoples, and languages. And so when we think about this and who God chooses, the next question that we sometimes ask is, why does God choose? Why does God have to choose a people for himself? Well, we see that it lines up with God's character. As we look through this text, God reveals himself in many ways. Not just his Father, Son, and Spirit, but he shows himself to be loving. In verse 4 and 5, he says, In love he predestined us. So God's choice has to do with his love for us. We see God is sovereign. So today we're talking about that the today in the church calendar is Christ the King Sunday. God is the king that is ruling and reigning. And, and we read in Psalm 115 that our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. And so God's choice is based upon his sovereignty. We see in verse 5 again, he predestined us according to the purpose of his will. The third thing that we see about God and his character and why he chooses is because he's gracious. We're told that we're predestined according to the purposes of his will to the praise of his glorious grace. God has expressed this love toward us. And it has nothing to do with us. And then finally we see that God makes his choice in all wisdom and insight according to verse 8. But what we see from this text is God's choice has everything to do with God and nothing to do with us. And that's good news for us, church. That God's, that God's choice... Is that me? Maybe it is. Let's... Whoa. Hello. God's choice has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him and his character. And that's good news because I can tell you this, we would never choose God if it was left up to us. If I look back at my life and the way that I was choosing to live, I was choosing to live and do what I wanted, when I wanted, and I wanted nobody to tell me what I could or couldn't do. I definitely didn't want to listen to God and what he said I had to do. And so I didn't even think of God. And then when I did, I, I wanted nothing to do with him. I tried to push him away. I was one of those guys that like made fun of Christians for wearing their t-shirts and stuff. I was like, I don't know who you are or what you think, but that God is not real. And I wanted nothing to do with God. I would never choose God. The, the other reason why this is good news is because the Father's choice was made before any of us ever screwed up, knowing that we would screw up. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us. He knew that you would commit this and that sin today. 
and the ones that you're going to commit tomorrow and the next day until you die. And all the ones that led up to that. And yet he still chose you if you've put your faith and trust in him. And so there's this paradox that people argue about. Well, I thought that I put my faith in God. I thought that I believed in God. How is it that God chose me? Well, yes, and both, right? Like, both of them seem to be true. And we're called to respond as people. But I can tell you this. If you chose God, know that he chose you first. Because he chose you before the foundation of the world. So that's step one in God's plan. That the Father chooses a people for himself. Step two in God's plan is that the Son would redeem that people. So look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things are in him, all things in heaven and things on earth. And so we see the Son redeems. Well, God the Son redeems us through his blood, we see in this text. But that's only possible because God the Son first became a man. And that's what we're looking to. That's the culmination of the Christmas season, that God would become a man. And that's what we get to celebrate. But God had to become a man because it took his blood to redeem us. You see, we're created in the image of God. We've been chosen by God, but God can't just take us to be his because there's that separation between us and him. Because there's a great debt that we owe to him because we've sinned against our great God. And so the son came to this earth, was born a baby in the manger, lived a perfect life, and died a death on the cross to redeem us. Because for us to be with God, we're told that we were chosen before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. But none of us are holy and blameless. But the only way that we can be with God is if we are holy and blameless. So Jesus had to come to make us holy and blameless. And that's what he was accomplishing in his redemption. Now redemption isn't a word that we use often. When I was a kid, I used to go play games at the Coconut Bowl. I want, and it was before it was even the Coconut Bowl, back when it was just Wild Island. And I would go and play arcade games there so I could get tickets and get prizes. And so that's when we think you can redeem this many tickets for this prize. Well, so redemption is just another word for, like, God purchasing us. God had to purchase us because he had to pay our debt for us to make us holy because we couldn't be holy on our own. And so how does God redeem us? Well, we see that it's through his blood. But let's get a little bit more specific here. God has redeemed us through his perfect life and his perfect death. You see, Jesus, born a baby, came to die on a cross so that he could be our sacrifice and our substitute. 
Jesus is our sacrifice and that his perfect debt, death in our place was to forgive us of our sins. If we look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, when the angel appears to Joseph and is talking to him about the birth of Christ, he says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to be our sacrifice, to forgive us of our sins. But it's not just enough to be forgiven of our sins because we still need to be righteous and we're not righteous. And so God's life in Christ was also our perfect substitute. You see, his righteous life was lived in our place to grant us his righteousness. If we look at 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We needed our sins to be forgiven and we needed to be made righteous. And it was accomplished through Jesus' life and death. God became man. And that's what we celebrate here in the Christmas season. But like we're talking about, we don't want to just see it from our human perspective, but from God's perspective. So that was just the second part of God's plan. You see, this is good news for us because we couldn't bridge that gap. We couldn't make our way past that separation that had been created because of our sin. We couldn't pay that debt because there was an infinite debt. And so we needed someone to pay it for us. And that's what Jesus accomplished in that second part of this plan. And so then we get to the third part of God's planned grace. And it's that the Spirit seals. Look at verses 13 through 14. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. All right, so the Spirit seals. How does God's Spirit seal us? Well, when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe in the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you're sealed with your Spirit, which means that God takes his Spirit and places it inside of you. God comes to live within us when we put our faith in him. And that's what's talking about when we, we read this, that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But what's he actually accomplishing when he seals us with the Holy Spirit? Well, first thing is he's showing that we're his. So the seal of a king was something that was on his ring. And, and when he would send out orders, wax would be melted and the ring would be imprinted into the wax so that way you knew that these were the words of the king. That these are his orders. And when God puts his spirit inside of us, he's saying that this is my child. I have redeemed him. He's mine. So that's the first thing that we see. But we don't really connect with that because we don't really have kings and seals and we don't think of it like that. So a more modern example of this personalization that God gives to us when he puts his spirit inside of us is um, through the movie Toy Story. How many of you guys have seen the movie Toy Story? 
I love the movie Toy Story. You know they're making a Toy Story 4? And so I'm pretty stoked about that. But in Toy Story 1, it starts out and it's Andy's birthday party. And what happens? He gets what? Buzz Lightyear, right? And so Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. And what does Andy do with Buzz when he gets him? He takes him up into his room. And on Buzz's foot, what does he do? He writes his name. And he writes his name because he's like, that's my toy. And when God puts his spirit inside of us, he's saying, that's my kid. He's personalizing it. He's showing that we belong to him. The second thing that God is accomplishing when he seals us with his spirit is he's placing his protection inside of us. We just got done going through the Sermon on the Mount. And part of the Sermon on the Mount, we, we looked at the Lord's Prayer. And one of the petitions of the Lord's Prayer is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The only way that God can accomplish that petition of the Lord's Prayer is because he's placed his spirit inside of us to protect us. And so I know that we're talking about Christmas gifts. And I know that you know some people are getting new phones for Christmas. Anybody getting a new phone for Christmas? I know these guys just got one. That's why I thought I'd say it. So. But, I mean, I love getting a new phone. I'm an iPhone guy. I have been since the beginning. And, and so um, when I get my new phone, though, what's the first thing that you do when you get a new phone? I get a case for my new phone, right? Like, because I know that something's going to happen. It's going to drop. Something's going to happen. And so my wife, I have to get her, like, the super mega life-proof OtterBox case because um, we got four kids, and she just lets them play with their phone, and they're, like, throwing it and dropping it. It's ending up in the glass of water, and I'm like, man, like, I can't have you throwing $1,000 into the glass of water. Like, that can't be. And so we get the, 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 the OtterBox or the LifeProof case because if something actually happens to your phone, it's in that case, what's going to happen? They replace it for you, right? And so that's why we go with the, that super case for her. And, and, and the same thing is true with us. God has placed his spirit inside of us because are things going to happen to us? Yes, but God is protecting us from that ultimate destruction that comes to those who don't have their, his spirit inside of them. And so then the last thing that we see through God placing his spirit inside of us is that he has given us proof of purchase. So I told you guys, I, I bought my wife this great gift, right? It didn't show up. I could, like, have nothing for it, and it'd be like, oh, trust me, babe. It's going to be okay. You're going to get your present. But I decided, I'm like, I want to wrap up this receipt so that way she knows that this is what's coming. And God has placed his spirit inside of us to let us know that this isn't all he has for us, but he's going to bring us in finally into his family and his kingdom one day. And so he has placed inside of us that proof of purchase. And so this is good news, church, because through God sealing us with his spirit, we have assurance that we are his, and we have his presence that goes with us until we are finally with him forever. And so God put this plan in motion in order that he might receive those who are his and whom he has chosen. But it's not just about buying himself a gift. That's not what God's doing. Instead, what God is doing is he is making us family. God's plan before the foundation of the world was a plan for adoption. 
Look at it again in verse 5. It says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, this year, I got to be a part of something that I thought was really special. Uh, Pastor Shane and his family, they got the opportunity to adopt their second son. And my family was invited to, to be a part of that ceremony that happened at the courthouse. And uh, through that, I was just floored at like what it really means to adopt someone. You see, Pastor Shea and Christina, they, they chose to adopt Xavier. It wasn't something that they were forced into. Nobody was twisting their arm. It was something that they chose to do. And in doing so, they took on financial responsibility of him. They gave him their name and made him part of their family. And they made a vow to provide for him, to protect him, and to raise him as just like he was one of their own children because he is just one of their own children. And through that, I got to see the heart of God because that's what God wants to do with us. He takes us who are orphans, fatherless, and brings us into his family. He chose to adopt us. Christ died to pay the price for our adoption. And when we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, we're given a new name and made part of his family. And God has done all of the work. And he's just calling us to believe. Look again at verse 13. In him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, I can't be certain who God has chosen or who Jesus has purchased. But I know this, that if you put your faith in these truths, if you believe this to be true, then these promises are for you and God will finalize your adoption by sealing you with his Holy Spirit. And so this morning, if you came here, not as a member of God's family, but after hearing about God's plan to love you before the foundation of the world, you want to be a part of God's family, all you have to do is believe. Put your faith in what you have heard this morning and become a child of God. Maybe you're here this morning and there's still all kinds of questions that you have about this. Because there's a lot of mystery in what's going on here. I would encourage you to come back over the next four weeks. We're going to be diving deeper into God's planned grace, this ancient grace and how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have all worked together to accomplish this plan from before the foundation of the world. And if you're here this morning and you would already call yourself a child of God because you've already believed in these truths, what is God calling you to today? Well, this whole text has a theme of worship woven through it. We start in verse 3 and we're told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with worship. And then three more times in this text, in verse 6, in verse 12, in verse 14, we see that this plan is taken shape and is accomplished to the praise of His glory and to the praise of His glorious grace. So church, what is God calling us to do this morning? To remember 
what it is that God has done. To look back into eternity past before the foundation of the world and see that God determined to love you before the foundation of the world and rejoice in that truth and worship Him this day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your planned grace. We thank you that you accomplish it perfectly, God. That nothing prevents your plan from going forward. That you, Father, have chosen your people. Who it is that you would call into your family. And that you, Son, have redeemed those people by coming and dying in their place and living as their substitute. And that you, Spirit, are just waiting to seal those who would believe. We thank you, God, for this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts, cause us to worship, and if there's any doubts, Lord, that you would answer those questions for us, that you would help us to put our faith and trust in you and to hope in this plan that you have set forth. In Jesus' name, amen.